Thank you. Great puppet show. I love puppets. I had a friend that was a puppeteer and he said, it's amazing. He said, you could tell people off and swear at people and abuse people and actually blame the puppet. He said, it's really cool. Puppets um, are a great tool. We have them in churches. We have them in hospitals. Sorry, excuse me while I set up camp. Um, I'm continuing my sermon series today, looking at what makes a genuine church. And we've been looking at the early church in Acts 2 to see what we can learn. Last week, we saw how these new convicts devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so I said a genuine church must be teachable. It is teachable. Today, we come to the second mark of a genuine church from Acts 2. The new converts devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, I'm quite sure when you hear they devoted to fellowship, you think, yeah, I know where Gar's going with this. He's going to say something like a genuine church meets together or a genuine church shares or a genuine church talks with one another. But just before you go ahead of me and think, I know what's coming next, chances are you probably don't. Because last week I said a church, a genuine church is teachable. My point today is this, a genuine church is fighting. How many of you picked that one? Now, just before you jump the stage and put this theory to the test and start fighting me, fighting, you would say, is never good in church. How can you read they devoted themselves to fellowship and come up with the title, A Genuine Church Fights? I mean, surely fellowship in church stops fights. Well... Let me tell you what I mean and how we came up with this title. If you were to go and do some research or study on this verse, you will notice the Greek word Luke uses here is a word called kornonia. And as you study this Greek word, and if you did a bit more delving, you would notice a lot of interpreters, commentators and scholars say translating this word koinonia into fellowship is really quite a misleading thing to do. Why do they say that? Because many of us have a great misunderstanding of this word fellowship, as we just saw. I know I quoted him last week, but to quote him again, John Stott once said about this word, fellowship is an, overword, is an overworked word in the contemporary church. The image is conveyed, but it is often a false image. Indeed, the vocabulary of fellowship has become so devalued currency that it seldom means more than a pleasant mateship or a Sunday afternoon get-together or a good gossip section over a cup of tea. As a result, we, sadly, we are sadly short of the rich, deep, full fellowship envisioned by this New Testament world. J.I. Packer says the same thing. What does the word fellowship suggest to you? A cup of tea in a church hall? Gossip in the porch after the service? Hiking with a youth group? A spell at a Christian holiday camp, touring Scotland or the Holy Land with a coach full of Christians. To quote one more, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes this same point about this passage. People's ideas as to what constitutes fellowships can be quite pathetic. Some people think that it's purely social terms. This idea is frequently found in the church. I want to ridicule it because it has nothing to do with Christianity. You could say a lot more back then and not be so politically correct. 
I think today there is an obsession with this word fellowship. Churches use it all the time. We often view fellowship, though, as what we do. When we think of this word fellowship, especially in a church setting, our minds have pictures of shared lunches um, or coffee times where we sit around and we talk about weather and football and the latest things on the news or markets or how our week was or whatever. And we often say we've had fellowship. But in these ways, that is a great downgrading of this word. I mean, think of this. After the service, you'll go and have a cuppa. We'll share with one another. And sometimes our conversations go like this. Hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. You been busy? Yeah, yeah, fairly busy. You doing okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. How about you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. In fact, I'm, I'm quite excellent. Oh, that's great. So tell me, did you see the Crows beat Port by one by kicking a goal after the siren this week? Of course I did. Who would miss that? Anyone that missed that's ridiculous. Oh, well, I'm glad you saw it. Okay, thanks. See you next week. Are you going to be here next week? Yeah, I am. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, and by the way, it's been nice fellowshipping with you. For sure, coffee times can be great. Shared lunches and other fun events help us to get to know one another and as such are useful, but we shouldn't talk about them in terms of fellowship. The fact that we share social activities with other Christians does not in self imply that we've had fellowship with them. All it means is that we've had casual conversations and common activities or we've taken part in some Christian activity. If we simply associate these activities with fellowship and fellowship with these activities, if I can be bold enough to say it, if we associate these activities with fellowship and fellowship with these activities, then that's an abuse. It's an abuse of the Christian language and it is a dangerous abuse. Why? Because if we associate fellowship with these activities, it can create in us a self-deception. What do I mean? If we associate these activities with fellowship and fellowship with these activities, it can fool us to thinking that as a church we're thriving in fellowship because we're doing meals, because we're doing coffee times, because we're meeting together, where the truth is biblical fellowship is something altogether different. I once read of a church that stopped their evening service. They replaced their service with what they called fellowship nights. What did they do? I went to one. They played table tennis and pool. They sat around talking, laughing, eating and sharing snacks together. Now, I want to say this is not wrong. And yes, even doing these activities can contribute to fellowship, but it all falls short of fellowship according to the Bible. Christians coming together is not fellowship. Now, you may be thinking, yep, we know that. My view of fellowship, Garth, is much deeper than that. It's much deeper than some activities. You could say to me, Garth, for me, true fellowships involves getting together for a spiritual purpose. It involves sharing needs, prayer, discussing God's words to encourage, comfort and edify one another. These things are certainly aspects of the word Christian fellowship, but even they do not comp comprise the full meaning of the word that we find in the New Testament. In some ways, our modern ideas of fellowship have become so watered down the word no longer carries the same meaning as that Greek word in the New Testament. Fellowship, koinonia, 
is one of the great words of the New Testament. It represents something that is vital to the spiritual health and is central to the church's true life. It is of the first importance, therefore, that we should be clear in our minds to what Christian fellowship really is. So I guess with that question, we must answer, what is true biblical fellowship? What do these early converts devote themselves to? While it may sound like these early converts were devoted to getting together with other converts for a cup of tea and barbecue, Koinonia tells us something about their coming together. Taken in its strictest terms here in Acts, this word is used to describe more than coming together. It is a word that was used to describe a unit or an army. It is so much more than coming together for a Sunday roast. Fellowship is not just simply being together. Fellowship, cornonia, is being together for a cause. It was used to describe an army. Biblical fellowship has a purpose and goal for being together. So when we read they devoted themselves to fellowship, for sure the new church may have had close relationships and spent a lot of time together, but their fellowship was not the point itself. This word used to describe more of a unit of an army. So this helps us in understand what they were voted to. In an army unit, the bond of the soldiers is not the product of simply being together. It is a result of the mission they share in. If you're in an army, you're not there to play cards. If you're sent out as an army, you're sent out on a mission. Koinonia, or fellowship, is about the mission they were fighting in together as the bond of, as a body of Christ, these new believers. I think a great example of this in our modern day, or a way to help us understand this word correctly, is in that movie, Lord of the Rings. I'm not sure if you are J.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings fan. I'm not. Never read any of the books, but I did see the first movie. And the first movie and book are actually titled Fellowship of the Rings. In the first book and movie, Tolkien describes a, com um, a camaraderie of a device group of people that come together for a central purpose. Their goal is to destroy the power of the dark lord that somehow resides in the ring. As this group forms, they're called the Fellowship of the Rings. The people in this fellowship are different in many ways, yet they're united in their opposition of the Dark Lord. Destroying the Dark Lord is the source and purpose of their fellowship. That's the fellowship that they're devoted to. So put that in context to Acts chapter 2. These Jewish believers were recently converted, baptised, received the Holy Spirit. Now they were seeing Christ in new light and that drove their desire for more. They were not content with slogans or pep talks. Not only were they committed to hearing what they listened to, they were devoted together as soldiers for fighting for what they were listening to. That's the fellowship that brought them together. As a group of soldiers, Cornania Fellowship, they were devoted to applying, fighting for the truth of Jesus, both in their own lives and in the lives of others. They just did not have fellowship that was just going through the motions of being together. They devoted themselves like soldiers. So I guess a better way to understand this verse would be to say this. 
They devoted themselves to the fellowship of the mission and call Jesus Christ put on their life. So true fellowship of Christians is more of that of soldiers who are moulded together for life because they've waged war side by side in trenches for battle. The battle of growing in faithfulness in the mission of Jesus Christ in this world. Now you can see, hopefully, why I say a genuine church is fighting. For sure, it's good to spend time together as a congregation in all kinds of ways. However, simply being together, getting to know each other, finding a few more friends, that's not the goal of fellowship. The goal of fellowship is for us to be growing in faithfulness to the mission of Jesus Christ in this world. That's the goal of fellowship. That's what we're fighting for. In other words, we devote ourselves to growing in faithfulness to the mission of Jesus Christ. We bear witness to the kingdom of God in all areas of our lives. The result of being devoted to our shared mission in Jesus Christ is a closer bond of fellowship. Soldiers in a battle will die for one another. So strong is their sense of community and fellowship. That's where Christian fellowship needs to go. We need to be willing to be fighting and willing to be going together. It is so important that we grasp this. Fellowship means that we belong to each other. It's a relationship because we share with one another the common mission to share the life and grace of Jesus Christ. That's what we're soldiers in. That's why we have a big cross out the front. That's why we have a big cross up behind me. It's no surprise the order Luke puts it in. Remember last week, he said they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and then devoted to fellowship. As I mentioned before, fellowship is being together as soldiers fighting for a cause. The cause for these new convicts was the mission of Jesus Christ. If this is true, then you understand if you're going to fight for a cause, you must know what cause you're fighting for. That's why they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching. There can be no fellowship without first being under the power of the apostles' teaching. They need to know what they're going out as soldiers and fighting for. It was the very teaching of the apostles that united them on their fighting front. So what? I mean, it's okay to read about them. It's okay to learn the Greek word and get a better understanding of what Luke was writing about in telling us what these early convicts were doing. Big deal. If I said to you, thanks, go and have a nice day, I would be failing you. Because what about us? In what ways can we be a genuine fighting church? Well, I want to finish by giving us some practical steps. Firstly, fight for your own fellowship with God. As I said, it is our mission, is the mission of Jesus Christ. If we are to fight for that, then just like those early convicts, we need to be devoted to that teaching. We need to be devoted to the word of God. Remember what the Apostle John says in his first letter, in the first chapter of that letter, in the first three? Right there at the beginning, he states, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. The person who is not in fellowship with the Father and Son cannot have fellowship with others because we're not on the same page. 
In other words, it is our fellowship with God that is the source from which fellowship among others comes together. That's what we fight for on a personal level. We fight to maintain that fellowship with God and his son as his child. How do you fight for it? Protect it. Don't let things get in the way or take you away from that fellowship that not only God wants to have with you, but he wants you to have with him. You know, you hear that saying, time is precious. Well, make sure you're fighting to give your relationship to God the time needed to stay strong. Fight for it because many people are going to want to take it away. Many people are going to want to snatch it away from you. Fight for the fellowship that God wants to have with you and wants you to have with him. The second thing is fight for the fellowship that we are to have with each other. I remember I read an unusual phrase once that was written by the Scottish-born theologian who uh, helped start Westminster Theological College. I don't know if you've ever read of um, Professor John Murray stuff. He's long gone, but he was quite good. He had a phrase he used to teach his students about, a phrase he called corporate sanctification. Sounds weird and different. Most of us know about our own personal sanctifications, the dealings we have with God personally, our personal duty of taking up our cross, denying ourselves and following the Lord Jesus daily, our personal responsibility not to be ashamed of the gospel, our conviction to affirm that because Jesus Christ loved me and gave himself up for me, this now demands my soul, my life and my all. We understand that. We get personal sanctification. It's a vertical and our duty to serve God. Those are the things I just talked about that we need to protect. But according to Professor John, he believes there's also a horizontal sanctification. This is our duty to one another. He says corporate sanctification is the mysterious influence Christians have and are called to have on one another. Corporate sanctification is the responsibility both to serve one another and also to receive service from one another. In other words, the phrase is referring to what he put, all those one another passages in the New Testament. Do you know, I remember once I I went through, I was encouraged to do this, I went through and I looked at these one another verses and I found 41 of them, 41 verses of what we are to do for one another. And I've got them all. I'm happy to send you an email if you want the sheet. It is those things that we are meant to be fighting for. I love how J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing Christianity, expands on this thought. He states, true fellowship, cornonia, involves giving and taking. He says, I give to you what God is doing in my life and you take it. But then you do the same. And so he says, true Christian fellowship is giving and taking. He also goes on to say that God has given us the wonderful blessing of putting us in a place for this to happen. That place is the local church. Rather than paraphrase and get it wrong, I don't normally read from books, but I want to read to you from this one. This is what he says. Christian fellowship is seeking to share with others what God has made known to us while letting others share with us what he has made known to them. The fellowship of sharing with one another of what we have received from the Lord is a spiritual necessity. God has made us, not made us self-sufficient. 
We are not equipped to keep going it on our own. This is often illustrated from a coal fire. Put the coals together and the fire burns. Separate them out one from the other and each goes out quite quickly. So it is in the body of Christ we are made not for isolation and self-sufficient living, but is in the body of Christ that true fellowship and togetherness and dependence upon God comes together in the local church. You remember I asked you quite a lot over the last few weeks, what is church and how do you see church? Well, for J.I. Packer, the church is the wonderful blessing of God, a place where we can come to live true fellowship, sharing and taking what God is doing in our lives with one another. So the Christian fellowship we find in church binds us together as a community unlike anywhere else in the world. I'm sure you understand it just doesn't come naturally. If true fellowship is giving and taking, then it's going to involve giving of ourselves. It's going to involve fighting to do it. You have to participate or fight for it. A lot of people have said to me, well, I'm going to church as if a church is a place you go to. That's not correct. Always remember, a church isn't a place you go to. It's not a building, it's not a club, it's not an institution. It's a family. Julie spoke on it already. Church is not a place we go to. Church is a family we belong to. All of us find a church family and choose to go to it on a basic level, but the Christian life, dare I say, your church life isn't just a matter of believing. It's a matter of belonging. You choose to belong. You, you and I must choose to belong to this church, the local church. It is only in God's family that we can have true fellowship, real giving and real taking. Giving and taking of what God has done can only be done by Christians. You can't share that stuff with non-Christians. When we consciously choose to belong, that's when true fellowship of a church happens. True fellowship involves us making the choice to belong to the family and choose to contribute to that family. What does that mean? You go where they go. You believe what they believe and you fight for what they fight for. I'm not sure if you've heard it said, but some people say, I'm a Christian, but I don't want to go or belong to any church. Stupid. Doesn't make sense. I mean, that's like me saying, I'm a football player, but I don't want to be a part of any team. I will never be able to play football. It just doesn't work. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. God meant for us to be part of a family. The church is where you and I live out what it means to be a Christian. If we want to grow, if we want to see God at work in our life, we have to join the family. That's where it starts. We need to attach ourselves to a group of believers and say, I want to be a part of what's going on here. As I read before from this book, we are not meant to go through life on our own. God has put us in a family. I often say one of the first things God does once he saves you, he puts you in a loving Christian family. And it is in within that family that we have true fellowship. The fact is we need each other. We belong to each other because we belong to him. And when we are together, we need to be sharing with each other 
what God is doing in our lives. That's why when true fellowship takes place in a church, we gather the encourage in, in each other in our faith and the life of Jesus Christ. When true fellowships take place in a church, we help each other be Christians in our jobs, in our homes, in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, in our families. When true Christian fellowship takes place in our church, it helps and equips us to live for Jesus in our travels, retirements, relationships, service, and whatever we do. It binds the soldiers together. I'm sure you understand. When we are doing this giving and taking from one another, this sharing of our experience of what God is doing in our lives with one another, it has an added bonus. Not only do we learn more about each other on a deeper spiritual level, but when we do this kind of fellowship, you know what else we learn about? We learn about God. I want to read to you again. Christian fellowship then is an expression of both love and humility. It springs from a desire to bring benefit to others coupled with a sense of personal weakness and need. It has a double motive, the wish to help and the wish to be helped, the wish to edify and the wish to be edified. In this corporate seeking by Christian people to know God better through sharing with each other what individually they have learnt already. We seek to do others good. We seek that others will do us good. When does fellowship become a reality? Whenever two or more Christians share with each other such knowledge of God's experience in their lives, as they individually do this, they learn more about each other and they learn more about God and true fellowship happens. It happens when they take responsibility for each other in that sharing situation, when they advise, pray for, encourage and seek in every way to uphold their brother and sister in his or her life and testimony. That, my people, I believe, is koinonia. You know, I can quite easily preach the importance of sharing what God is doing in our lives. And the likes of Professor John and J.I. Packer can quite easily write about it and say, do it. But let me tell you, I want to say it's not easy and it's not a common practice that we do as Christians. Do you know, as you saw a few weeks ago, Michelle and I, a lot of our work involved working with Aboriginals. And, you know, they would talk about the Lord a lot. That you could never have a conversation with them about what's the Lord doing in your life. They would be in church like this and they would go, hey, you, brother, what's God done for you this week? What's God done for you this week? And you had to speak. They made a comment to me because they obviously have white friends and they said they can go to some white Christian homes and they said, the Lord's never spoken of. We get together and they never mention. And sadly, I had to tell them in a lot of ways that's true. Do you know, I can meet with Christians and the topic of what the Lord has done in my life for the week never enters conversation around the table. Why do we do that? I totally understand. For a lot of us, sharing doesn't come easy. I mean, sharing of ourselves is a hard thing because when you do it, you make yourself vulnerable. Some are scared to share. 
They're scared that they may say the wrong thing, so they just stay silent. But I truly believe if we take what we've been looking at today, this type of sharing is worth fighting for. It's worth taking the step. Can there be true fellowship without sacrifice? No. Every soldier that's put in the trenches makes a sacrifice. So if I was to take you back where I started, true fellowship is a group of soldiers together fighting for a cause. In the family of God, it's important we learn to share with each other that builds true fellowship, that equips us to unite as soldiers and fight in the mission of proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord to us and to the world. If Pakenham Baptist Church is going to be a genuine church, then it is so important that we're a fighting church, a church that fights to protect our own fellowship with God and a church that fights for the fellowship between each other, corporate sanctification. Putting both these together is the essence of real fellowship. So what happens now? Well, in a minute, we're going to stop church. We're going to head out there for a copy. Coffee. Let me put this challenge to you. Let's not just let the conversation stay on with work or how was your week or how is your family doing or what new product you're thinking of buying. Tell or ask someone, what has the Lord done for you this week? Ask them that question and share with them what the Lord's done for you. I'm not asking us to pry. In fact, I'm saying to you, don't pry, don't pry, don't interrogate. I'm just asking that we be open and honest about our dealings with God and what he's doing in our lives. It is then that fellowship becomes a possibility. And it is in our giving and taking of each other we can see that true Christian fellowship is a relationship and not an activity a relationship that describes who we are, a community of soldiers bound together for the union and mission of Jesus Christ. I love those. That's why I chose those verses before. That's how you live it out. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Every time you come together, bring good. We're about to go to coffee. Always remember... Ask the person, what's the Lord done in your life this week? For those of you online, let me put the same challenge to you. If you're with a family, ask them. Make it a goal this week to speak to a neighbour or another Christian person and say, what's the Lord done in your life this week? And then tell them what he's done in yours. That, I believe, is true fellowship. That is what unites us. That is what equips us. And that is what gets us ready to fight for the battle and the mission of Jesus Christ in our lost world.